0: This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people need a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. So again from Galatians chapter 5, starting with verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh,
1: Good morning. I am uh, Brad Bergfalk, I'm the transitional lead pastor here at uh, Community Covenant Church, and I am delighted to be with you this morning. And I, this past week, had the opportunity, the privilege of being with uh, many of the other pastors that are part of our uh, tribe, if you will, our denomination called the Evangelical Covenant Church. Uh, But that's not as important as I got to meet some of these guys for the very first time. And and I don't know if you knew this, but we're part of a group of churches that began in the state of Alaska out on the west uh, uh, side of the state, out in all the the native villages. So I'm there and one of the native uh, uh, pastors comes up to me and says, Kupfik. I go, what? He goes, your new native name, Kupfik. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. And I go, huh, I just got here and they're already giving me an honorary name. Isn't that wonderful? So what does it mean? It means Wolverine. (laughs) And, you know, he doesn't know me that well. There's probably some truth to that that he's not aware of. Anyway, I go, really? Why? Why why do you want my nickname to be Wolverine? He goes, well, you look kind of like Hugh Jackman, the guy that plays Wolverine in the (laughs) X-Men. And uh, I want you to know that I cut all my fingernails this morning before I got here, just so you know. We are in a series of sermons that is about life together and about the challenges and the opportunities and the privilege that that presents to us. And today we are no less going to be talking about uh, life together and we are going to be reflecting for a short moment at least on this passage of scripture that talks about uh, life in the spirit and the fruit that comes from that kind of a life. So if you'll just pause with me for a minute while I pray to ask God to be present with us today, and then I, uh, we will launch off uh, for the next few minutes. Let's pray together. God, uh, we want to hear your voice. We want the scriptures to speak deeply into our hearts and our souls, not so that we can leave here and be, uh, be happy, although that's a good thing, but so that that our lives might be increasingly transformed to look more like the spirit that is in work in us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's begin today. I'm going to give you a a little quiz, okay? I'm going to show a slide on the screen, and I want you to tell me what kind of tree that is represented on that slide. Now, for those of you who are botanists, uh, and I know that, that, that there are some. Uh, that get really excited about the 10 days of growing season that we have here in Alaska. So you feel free to sort of chime right in. This is an interactive little event here. So don't sit here like this going, the pastor doesn't really want me to respond. Yes, I do. Okay, I'm the transitional pastor. I can do whatever I want, and I want you to respond. Okay, first slide. Let's see it right here. What kind of tree is this? Pear tree, way to go! You're one for one. Yes, and look at those pears. Aren't they just succulent? Do do they grow trees here in the up in the valley? Uh, Pears? Probably not. No, okay. Um, I love pears. For some reason, my wife doesn't, so I never get to eat them. But if I saw a prayer like uh, a pear like that, I would eat it, and I love pears. So look how look how large and and beautiful they are. They're just wonderful. Okay, second slide. Tell me what kind of tree this is. Lemon tree. For those of you who are just coming back from your annual pilgrimage to Lemon Land, wherever the weather's hot and the and the the, the water's warm, um, this is what you see. You see lemon trees in people's yards, right? Southern California, Arizona, maybe New Mexico, you know, Copacabana, wherever wherever you happen to go, you see lemon trees, and they're really great. Fresh lemon squeezed uh, lemonade. There's nothing better, right? Beautiful. And if uh, and if you're like my son, you'll take a lemon, cut it in half, and and just suck the juice right out of the lemon. I don't know how he does that, but uh, beautiful. Let's take a look at the next slide. What kind of tree is this? It's an apple tree. That's right. And and you grow apples up here, don't you, in the in the valley? Yeah. Do they look like that, or are they like giant things? Okay. Um, beautiful. Uh, there's nothing better than a nice crisp. You know, Granny Smith or Red Delicious Apple. And I come from the state of Washington, and we used to be known as the apple capital of the world. Um, we are uh, not so much now. They're, in fact, digging all of the apple orchards up. And uh, Do you know why they're doing that? Because they're planting something else. They're planting grapes. In fact, grape the grapevine is a weed. It doesn't take nearly as much work to care for as an apple tree. So the farmers make a lot more money with grape vines than apple trees. But anyway, um, so those are easy. I mean, if you couldn't have gotten those, you need to go to the grocery store with your spouse and you need to spend some time in the fruit and vegetable section because those are easy. This next ones that we're going to look at are a little tougher. So tell me what you think this is. What kind of tree this is? Anybody know? Nope, not kiwi. Uh, what'd you say, Coke? Coconut? No. Gave? No. Okay, I'll tell you. It is Joshua tree fruit. Now, I don't know if Joshua tree fruit is edible or not, but uh, this is called Joshua tree fruit, and a Joshua tree is kind of like a cactus, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Um, if any of you do, on your travels happen to run into Joshua tree fruit, Try some for me and come back and tell me what it tastes like, okay? Because they did not have this at Fred Meyer. I looked. They didn't have it. Okay. So, uh, the next slide, a little tougher. Tell me, what is this? Any guesses? It's a nut. Well, mm, nobody knows. It's a buckeye fruit, right? Buckeye Again, I don't know if you eat it, but on a buckeye tree, this is what grows. My favorite buckeyes, by the way, are those little uh, holiday uh, candies that sometimes people make with a a roll, a ball of peanut butter, then you dip it in chocolate. You know that? Those are called buckeyes. I love those. If there's anybody here that makes those, God will bless you if some of those show up in my office. (laughs) Okay, buckeye tree. Then the last one. Let's see if you know this. Does anybody know what this These are not grapes. They're not grapes. This is the hardest one. All of you will know what this item is, but you don't see it in this form. No? No, 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 no. Okay, you give up allspice. That's allspice. grows on a tree, and before it becomes a spice, apparently they, whatever, whatever they do. Okay, so this, uh, this was easy. Now these are the beautiful pieces of fruit. Let's take a look at what some ugly fruit that comes perhaps from a bad tree looks like. You know what those are? Yeah, they're apples or crab apples. But um, this is a this is a sick tree, and that's what a an apple on a sick tree looks like. What about this? This is my favorite. Ooh. I don't know what kind of fruit that is, but that's uh, that's from fire blight. so a fire went through the the, the orchard, and that's what happened to the the uh, fruit so um, bad fruit, when you look at this picture, is not nearly as appetizing or desirable, is it as good fruit in fact. Uh, the best thing and the only thing you can really do with a bad fruit tree because, as you know, bad fruit is a byproduct of a diseased tree, right? You can't get good fruit from a bad tree. And so uh, farmers, what they often do with trees that bear bad fruit of any kind is they cut them down and they plant a new one. In, uh, in this text that we've uh, read for you today, Paul uses this really delightful image about trees and fruits to illustrate one side of, of the great challenge of Christian living. The challenge is this. How do we live out, faithfully live out the gospel without drifting to, on one extreme legalism, on the one hand, and libertinism, which if you've never heard that word, that's kind of like free-for-all, on the other hand. How do we live our Christian life in such a way that we avoid these two extremes? Because it's so easy for us to to veer off in the direction of one or the other. I was talking with somebody earlier today uh, following the first service, and they they were... uh, telling me how they work in a context of legalism. So everywhere they go they go in this context, you know, it's rules this, it's rules that. Here are the boundaries. And they said it was refreshing, really, for them to hear that in Christ there's a different way to live. But they're still trying to figure out, well, how do they live out that life of the Spirit in a legalistic context? In the book of Galatians, Paul is trying to help this congregation, this this group of Christians, just like us, to learn how to deal with conflict that has arisen over these questions. In this case, the conflict is primarily a, a theological Conflict, But it has very practical implications. It involves a group of Christians in the congregation who were legalists. They were by the book Christians. They were cross every T dot every I Christians. And they believed that the way you became a good Christian was by being a good Jew first. So you had to fulfill all of the obligations of the Jewish law and then Christianity was an extension of that. And in the midst of their legalism, they began to point fingers at those in the congregation who had a different understanding of what it meant to follow Jesus. And then there was this other group of people in the same congregation who believed that their newfound faith in Jesus gave them freedom from the bondage of the law. And some people that were at the very extreme of this position even argued that freedom in Christ meant that they were not bound by any external benchmarks anymore. They did not have to keep lists. They did not have to keep the law. Jesus had come to make them free. They could do what they want. They could say what they want, and it doesn't matter. And Paul comes along and he tries to give some advice to these various factions in this debate by explaining the polarities of law versus freedom, gospel, in terms of a tree and its fruit. You see, in verse 16 through 18, Paul gives us this extensive description of what life looks like in the old nature and for Paul, the issue is not about legalism or absolute freedom. For Paul, the real issue is that a transformed life is always animated by the Spirit of God. Let me say that again. A transformed life is always, always, always animated by the Spirit of God. And i got to be careful because I'm starting to get animated here. Uh, anyway, so he begins at verse 16, as you saw through 18, by exhorting the galatian christians to to live by the spirit live by the spirit life in the spirit for for paul is not some weird crazy ecstatic state that you know we sometimes get that impression by either TV preachers that we see on cable or, or churches in the community where you know life in the Spirit is some wacky thing. For Paul, it's not that at all. Rather, life in the Spirit is simply a life that is driven to make choices based on the animating presence of God's Spirit in one's life. That's what it means to live in the Spirit. And the opposite of this for Paul is a life in the flesh. A life of old of the old nature, if you will, a life that gratifies this sinful nature. that which is from our old nature, Paul is saying, is really contrary. It's it's contrary to, to the things of the spirit. Our old nature is animated by selfishness and greed and the need to be on top and stay on top. The relentless pursuit of our own desires over the desires of everyone else. A life dictated by our old nature looks normal to us at first because we grow up and we live in a culture that says that's the only way you survive is by staying ahead and staying on top of the people around us. But you will also discover that a life that is absorbed by, by our old nature is also a life that is pretty vacuous. And I know that many of you know that. But on the contrary, Paul says life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit is, is, is reflected by the presence and the power of the Spirit of God in our lives calling us to be our best selves. Life in the Spirit is not doing about uh, doing what we want, but doing what God wants. Life in the Spirit, for Paul, Is about allowing the Spirit of God to transform us into the persons that God has created us to be. So Paul addresses the legalists in this debate that I told you about by saying, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. In other words, life in the Spirit is not motivated by one singular pursuit, whatever that may be. Life in the Spirit produces a life that exhibits the will and the way of God rather than the will and the way of oneself. When my daughter, Kylie, was about two or three years old, her mother uh, was at work, or I think she might have actually, she worked nights for a time, and our, our early marriage and so she was probably sleeping and I was on child care duty. And I had this great idea that I'm going to do the funnest thing that a two year old could possibly do. We're going to go to the mall and we're going to go to the toy store. And so I took my young daughter to the toy store, and it was one of those stores where, you know, they have the helicopters flying around and the dogs barking, and, you know, they turn everything on in the store. And, of course, you know why they do that, because it's like, a, it's like a, a giant magnet to any kid under five years old, right? So we get there, and her eyes are huge, and she's going, Oh, Daddy, this is great. And she runs right back to the doll, uh, the doll shelves in the store, and she's looking at dolls and talking to them and doing whatever three-year-old girls do with dolls and you know I'm thinking to myself what a great father I am here I am on a father-daughter trip and look how happy my daughter is and and then I looked at my watch and I said, oh yeah, we've been here long enough so I walked up to Kylie and I said, hey Kylie, sweetie it's time to go we need to go no (laughs) Um, perhaps you didn't understand me, Kylie we've been here long enough Daddy, I want this doll. Yeah, I know, Kylie, but you got lots of dolls. I'm not going to buy a doll. I'm sorry. We're going to. This was just for fun. This just. This was just for your daddy and and you to have kind of a fun time together. No, I'm not leaving, Dad. So I reached down and I grabbed her hand, and as I began to walk out, I was stopped, and as I looked back, she's hanging on to the shelf with one hand. I don't want to go, Dad. I don't want to go. And so finally I picked her up like a sack of potatoes and I put her over my shoulder and I squeezed her legs as hard as I could because she was kicking them and she was kicking me in, well, in places that's not comfortable to be kicked. And so I had to hold on tight and then she was hitting me on the back and I'm walking out that store and I'm thinking, oh great, what a father-daughter date this has been. And then I remembered I parked my car on the opposite side of the mall. So I had to walk down the corridor of the mall with a little girl over my shoulder like a sack of potatoes, hitting me and screaming at the top of her lungs, and I was just mortified. <laughs> and there was a lady who was walking toward me. She was, a, she was obviously a, a more mature woman who had had children, I assumed. And as she got close to me, she smiled. You know, and I'm just going to... And she, and she leaned over close to me and she said, it's okay, we've all been there. (laughs) You see what my daughter was doing? She was expressing her autonomy, right? She was expressing her desire to do what she wants. The word in the Bible, the Greek word for autonomy is autonomos, to be a law unto oneself. What Paul is saying in this text is that those of us who choose to live by the old nature are living as if we are the law to ourselves but then paul goes on to describe what this life without the spirit this life as a law to oneself looks like he 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 begins at verse 19, the fruit of this kind of life. And and this list is kind of depressing, so I'm going to I'm going to fly through it. But he says it's filled with immorality and impurity and idolatry and hatred and jealousy and selfish ambition and dissension and envy and drunkenness. And the list goes on. This list is not exhaustive. It's it's a it's a representative list of what life in uh, in the old nature looks like. And Paul is saying to us, in effect, you want to know what life that is constrained by the old nature looks like? Just look at its fruit. Look at its fruit. The fruit that hangs from the tree of our old nature is shriveled. It lacks flavor. It's not appealing to the eye. The fruit that hangs from this tree is a natural byproduct of of the tree itself. And when we say, without the Spirit is a small life. It is a life whose limitations and constraints cannot understand the freedom that God offers those who believe. But there's another kind of life. And Paul says, there is a life that is Animated by the Spirit of God. So at verse 22, Paul turns his attention from that that old nature kind of life that we just looked at to this fruit tree that expresses the, the living presence of God's Spirit every time it turns around. And when you see this fruit, what do you know about this tree? It's healthy. Because a a fruit is the reflection of the tree from which it comes. Don't you remember the pictures? The fruit of this tree are large, succulent, flavorful. The fruit of this tree, animated by the Spirit, is not constrained by disease or blight. Just like when Paul was listing the characteristics of old nature, now Paul begins to list the characteristics of the fruit of this new nature. This, this new nature that is animated by God's Spirit and the byproduct of life in the Spirit, Paul says, is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And just like the old nature list, this is not an exhaustive list either. This is a representative list of all of the good byproducts of a life that is led by the Spirit of God. It's healthy, it's life-giving, and it brings us joy. And it brings joy to those around us. So for Paul then, the question of living out the gospel is not this false choice between legalism on the one side or libertinism on the other. But for Paul, a life animated by the power of God's Spirit is a life that is rich and that is full and that is favorable, just like the fruit that comes from a healthy tree. So what are the implications of... This for how we do life together here at Community Covenant Churches, you know, it may be obvious to you. And for those that it isn't obvious to let me offer you some good news, some some really good news about what life in the spirit looks like. The first characteristic that we see about life in the spirit is that life in the spirit runs contrary to a life that is uh, dictated by rules and regulations. Let me say that again. Life in the spirit is contrary to a life that is dictated by rules and regulations. You see, if you find yourself, and, and many of you here today will, I know this, find yourself living kind of this rule-based Christianity that you've been living for years, and it's about checking off boxes, and it's about trying to be a good Christian, Then, and you're failing miserably, and you don't want anybody to know that, but you're hearing this and you're going, yeah, that's me. What Paul is saying is that you can recalibrate your understanding of the gospel and go from a law-based gospel to a spirit-based gospel. Where the, where the fruit of that spirit is a byproduct of your life of faith, rather than striving to reach some arbitrary level of perfection, that day in and day out, yeah, today I, I lost my temper with my spouse, yep, today I you know was snarky with a fellow cop. I mean, if you fail every day. If it's not working for you, if rule-based Christianity is not working for you, or if that's the mindset that you come here with, I want to tell you that there's good news. And the good news is that life that has been animated by the Spirit of God does not require us to check off boxes to see whether or not we're, we're doing better today than we did yesterday. The second implication of this is that life in the Spirit is a life of freedom, and not libertinism, not, not absolute freedom. See, when I was a uh, high school kid, um, I, I, there was a period of time in my life where I um, did things I shouldn't have done. Don't worry, I won't be any more uh, detailed than that for those of you who have kids sitting in this in this church service. But uh, I remember going out with my friends on, on a regular basis on the weekends and I would go out my front door uh, just about to engage in some nefarious activity uh, that will remain nameless and I would look up t- uh, at, a, at a picture that my mom had hanging right inside the front door and it was a picture of Sweet- uh, that Swedish Jesus. You know the one I'm talking about? Blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know, And every time I walked out, I looked at him, and it was, as if, it was as if his eyes followed me out the door. It was kind of creepy to me at the time. And I remember at a, f- at a couple places in my life uh, when I was beginning to, to understand that I wanted to live my life in such a way that it reflected my faith, but I still couldn't do it. And I would pray to God as I looked at Swedish Jesus there, uh, God, forgive me for what I'm about to do. See, that's what I'm talking about. That's libertinism. That's freedom at the extreme. And that's what Paul wants us to avoid as well. The gospel of Jesus sets us free. You bet. It sets us free from the old nature, yes. But life in the Spirit does not, does not give us permission to live any old way that we want because we know that God will ultimately forgive us. So that's the second point that I want to make. Life in the Spirit is a life of freedom but not libertinism. Third, the gifts of the Spirit are byproducts of a life that are animated by the Spirit of God. The gifts of the Spirit are not the point. They are a reflection of a life that has been been filled with the power of God's Spirit. We don't strive to become more loving. God gives us the capacity to love more. We don't strive to be more peaceful. God's Spirit brings a sense of peacefulness in our daily encounters with people that drive us crazy. You see, and we have to be careful here too, because if we simply substitute this good list of things that we're striving to for the list of things that we're striving from, then we're in legalism in that regard too. So the point here is that the Spirit is the, the, the gifts of the Spirit are byproducts of a life that has been enveloped by the Spirit of God. Fourth, the fruit of your life is an external indicator of your internal spiritual life. This is where the rubber meets the road, folks. How we, how we reflect the fruit of the Spirit in our life and our daily activities, whatever that may be, is a direct Correlation between that and our internal spiritual life. So if your life is filled with conflict and anger and rage and sexual immorality and discord and jealousy and so on and so on, then you may want to pay some attention to your spiritual life because there's something not well in the core of your tree. But where the Spirit of God is active, there are these characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit that reflect exactly the opposite. Now, if I was to show you a picture now, on the one hand, a beautiful, succulent piece of fruit. And then side by side, that picture of that ugly piece of fruit that was blighted by fire. And you were to be honest, what kind of fruit would your tree be producing right now? Is it fruit that people can see as a reflection of a life that has been completely absorbed by the Spirit of God? Or is the fruit that you produce the kind of fruit that the only thing that anybody would want to do with it is cut down the tree Plant a new one. My prayer for you is that you and I, we, increasingly reflect a life that exhibits the fruit of God's Spirit. And to that end, let's pray together. Holy Spirit of God, Do your work in us so that today and tomorrow and the day after that we can see more of the good fruit and less of the bad. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.